We hope that this message encourages you today. For more information about us, please visit myfreedom.church. So I want to uh, share something that has been like uh, an ongoing joy to me in the Word of God. Uh, I borrowed Max's Bible because I came with the Passion version and I thought, ah, let's keep Let's keep it legal and we love passion. The passion. You love we the love passion. Well, I'm not reading from the passion, sorry. We're going to read a few verses in Mark 14, <clears throat> including two that are probably the most, two of the most mysterious verses in the Bible. So you're in for a treat because I'm going to give you my take on them. We'll get there. <clears throat> and then we'll finish with two verses in Luke 22. So it's Mark 14. Luke 22, I'm going to start there, lay down as a foundation. So where, which verse is Mark 14, 32. 14, 32. Uh, it's not really a Christmas message. I could, I could <laughs> twist it into one, but hey, let's just not even pretend that would be more honest. Mark 14, 32 says this. They came to a place named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, uh, sit here until I have prayed. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be very distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. <clears throat> Remain here and keep watch. And he went a little further beyond them and fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me yet. Not what I will, but what you will. <clears throat> and then, just reading in the same chapter, we're getting to the, to the strange verses now, from 50 to 52. Uh, I'll just read it as it is and explain it later. And they all left him and fled. A young man was following him, wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body, and they seized him, but he pulled three of the linen sheets and escaped naked. Aren't you glad that's in the word of God? <laughs> wow. I have a take on it. And I'm going to finish in Luke 22. Okay, so let's go there and read 43, verses 43 and 44. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him, and being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. So I'm going to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to just bring all this to life for us, and then I'll yeah. start sharing. So, Holy Spirit, you are the one who inspired every word, every living word in this book that we have, that we love. That's the Bible. We say to you again, we know that this is living truth that you've given to all men. We know it's God breathed. And so our prayer is that you would breathe on it again. Yes. I really mean that. We, we cannot sit in front of the word without having the author breathe on it and make it come alive. And that is what we're after this morning. Make it alive to each person's heart here. Yes. In Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. So, um, 
Lynn and I had a privilege two months ago. We went to Israel for the very first time wow. in our lives, had not been before. And uh, we, I, I'm only going to focus on the positive because there, there was a lot of religious tourism and that's all I'm going to say. Mm -hmm. But in amongst, there was obviously the most precious thing was, well, whether Jesus was born there, there, there or there, it was pretty close to here. <laughs> and, and, and wow, I'm actually where you grew up, I'm where you walked and lived. I'm next to the sea that you did your miracles on. I'm in Capernaum where you had your base. I mean, it was just, it was like if you were in love with someone and the someone said, I want to show you where I grew up in my childhood. Mm -hmm. And you just go with them and you discover the, the places that were precious to that person. And that's how it felt. And one of the precious places was the Garden of Gethsemane. And... Um, I was, there were two places where I was particularly moved, and, and uh, Lynn as well. One was what's called the Garden Tomb, that I'm not really going to talk about now, but where you had a true sense of being able to rest in the presence of God and just take in some of what happened when Jesus was placed in the tomb and then resurrected. And that was a very special place. But the Garden of Gethsemane, which we obviously read about and where I was, I'm saying I was because sadly that morning Lynn wasn't feeling well and didn't get to the garden, so the I is for that reason. Um, it, it was very moving, it was more moving than I had maybe expected it to be. Um, even some of the paintings, and you know what it's like, you can go into churches and there's all kinds of religious paintings around and sculptures and they don't always stir me. But in this place they did, because without fail, what they were depicting was Jesus really agonising in prayer. They would have him alone, they would often depict the disciples at a distance behind, asleep next to a tree, or just completely indifferent to what was going on for Jesus. And so you would see these pictures, whether it was painting or there was a, a sculpture in stone as well, and it was always the same message that was coming across. Something very deep and profound was happening in Gethsemane that was being depicted in that place. And, um, and so it, it triggered a process in me, and some of the verses that I've read, obviously, I'm going to be commenting on. But... I suppose what I'm really saying is this, it started to make me go on a journey which led me to understand that the salvation that we have in Jesus is actually even greater than I had first thought. So I'll just explain what I mean by that. I'm, I'm going to state the obvious first to get to where I'm going, forgive me, but you'll understand. It's like this, we all, everybody knows that Jesus Christ died for our sins on the cross, and we, we say and believe that he died for all sins of all people, past, present, and even future. Yeah. It's just that if you, if you stop and try to think about that just for a moment, mm -hmm. you actually reach a point where it, it is too much to take in. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because you're like, that's uncountable. Yeah. That, that's beyond 
a mathematician's ability to com start computing. I mean, my own seem, you know, looking backwards, seem rather numerous. <laughs> That's just one person. And, and you multiply that by all of humanity for all time, and you start to think, how could possibly one man have taken all that on himself? It's, I mean, the, the Bible, I think, sums it up by saying he became sin. Okay. All right, if that's how you're going to summarise it. I, I, I don't think there's a better way. I mean, it's just absolutely huge, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's yeah. just beyond us. And we just have to worship Jesus that he was both willing and even able to support the weight of that, whatever that looked like and felt like. But what's interesting is that the Bible clearly teaches that Jesus was uh, tempted and tested in every single way, like we are, was a man so that he could identify with us. So that there'd be nothing that we could go through, or no temptation we could face, where Jesus would, would basically be saying, well, I don't understand that. You know, I, I, never, I never had to face anything like that, so I'm going to kind of empathise from a distance. The whole point of Hebrews chapters 4 and 5 is to say, no, hang on, this high priest actually went through and experienced all the stuff we went through and experienced so that he can absolutely faithfully say, I understand what you're going through. I really get it. I really tasted that when in my sufferings so that I, and I overcame it, so that now I can help you overcome it. And that's wonderful. So I also have had this growing conviction, and this isn't my main subject, but you know the few times I've been back here, that what Jesus also took on the cross and in all the, the whippings, the beatings, and the, the physical stuff that he took on, that was all for our physical healing. And I know that most of you are sure about that because Isaiah is extremely clear and it's backed up in Matthew 8, 16, 17. It's not my topic, but it's this principle of that he literally carried our sufferings and he bore our pains and there's different translations, but that basically Jesus paid the price so that we could be healed. Yes. Yeah. And you arrive at 1 Peter 2.24, by his stripes you have been healed. Right. Yeah. The past tense of God, yeah. it's done, it was accomplished on the cross, and if you, if you believe it and reach out for it, then you can receive your healing. And I've seen hundreds of them, and I know it's the truth. So what I've said so far basically is this, that Jesus, I know you know it, but that Jesus paid the full price for all our sins, the full price for all our physical healings, but what I don't think I'd ever really meditated on, and it's my conviction, obviously, that in Gethsemane, he paid the full price for the restoring of our soul. Come on, we'll have it. Because we are spirit, soul, and body, that you all know. Now, if he didn't pay the full price for our soul hurts and our soul wounds, that would be strange anyway. 
Because it would be like it would be like us saying to Jesus, Oh, I'm feeling really afraid about something, and Jesus saying, Well, I, I never actually feared anything. Mm. What's fear? Mm. Or us saying, I'm just feeling great anxiety, and Jesus saying, Could you just tell me what anxiety is? Because I was just so perfectly in tune with comfort. <laughs> <coughs> I never had an anxious moment in my life. And if that were true, then how can Jesus identify with us? But what if what was happening in Gethsemane was that Jesus was opening himself up to the fears, anxieties, stresses, soul wounds of humanity generations past, present and future? What if he was under such distress in his soul that Luke says God had to literally send an angel otherwise he would have died? And Jesus phrases it this way, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. Not my spirit and not my body. My soul is overwhelmed. And the Bible uses words, look at all the translations you want, and it uses phrases like fear that was in him. Um, this one says, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death, but there's, there's other phrases of, um, uh, the word anxiety is used, the word, the word fear is used. And I, I, I came to a place where I was saying, Jesus, it just looks like you identified with all those soul <coughs> wounds of humanity. Everything that can be going wrong on the inside of us, everything that's hurt us in our, we can say our hearts if you like, but you understand where I'm coming from. And I actually believe that just as he experienced our sins, just as he experienced our physical illnesses and our pains, I really believe. He had these three hours, because remember, three times for an hour, he would go back and pray, and there was this agonizing going on. I honestly believe that he did that, so that if you say to Jesus, I'm making it really practical, uh, Lord, I feel so discouraged, he says, yeah, I know what that feels like. Lord, I feel so anxious about this situation. Yeah, I've tasted anxiety. I actually understand it. It was in the garden that I was battling that. To the point that he sweat blood. And the doctors will give us words for that to say that is a physical condition. If you're under extreme duress internally, it can manifest by blood coming through and the blood... John will do a better job, so I'll stop, alright? But that is a medically recognised condition. And Jesus, I believe, did that for us, which is just profoundly wonderful, and I'm very grateful for it. But, but God took me further, and I'm getting more into the text now. And he said to me, I want to uh, take you on a, a comparison between the Garden of Eden and the Garden of Gethsemane in the sense that I'm describing. And um, I don't, again, foundation is we all know that before the fall of man, when Adam and Eve were just enjoying God 100% in the garden, 
we all know instinctively that there was no soul wounds going on for them at all. They were in such perfect communion with God, with each other, so at peace with themselves, that they really were living in a paradise. There was nothing in their hearts that, where they would say, I just feel I need deliverance, or inner healing, or any of that stuff at all. They were just like, this is awesome. Uh, we are whole between ourselves with God and, and, and in unity internally, I suppose you could say. And therefore, what we understand is that has to remain the will of God for us. Mm -hmm. If God created man like that in the beginning, it means that's his desire for us. Yeah. So I believe that there's both the journey that God wants us to take, to take us on towards real inner healing and wholeness. And also, I believe that God is saying to the church, you can go on that journey because Jesus really paid the price for it. He really did everything necessary in Gethsemane and overcame so that you could receive your healing. So, let's just, I'm going to give you some of the facts about the Garden of Gethsemane. So, in the Garden, this might surprise you, but there was actually only two people that those soldiers who came to arrest Jesus... There was only two people that the soldiers tried to lay hold of. Obviously, Jesus was one of them. They went to get him. But we've read in Mark this morning that they tried to seize this mysterious young man. Who is this young man? They tried to seize him. But because he was wearing... And it's very strange, isn't it? He was only wearing a linen garment. And you're like... Hello, was that the fashion of the day? No. You know, it was weird already that he was only wearing that. So that was already strange. And then they, they obviously, well, we have to use our imagination, but we imagine they got hold of that linen cloth and it easily came off him and so <coughs> he ran away naked. Okay, a bit embarrassing for him, we might want to say, but why were you wearing that anyway? <laughs> so... When it came to the other disciples, it's a little bit of an aside, but just to show you, it really was only two people that they tried to lay hold of. Jesus had said this to the soldiers who had come. He'd said, if it's me you're looking for, then let these people go, referring to his 11 disciples. And we know, I think, that when Jesus says something, well, it just happens. So actually... That was more like a, an order or a command than, I'm just making a suggestion here. It was Jesus saying, no, you let those 11 go. And all we get from the Bible is they just ran away. The, the soldiers, I'm going to say, Jesus didn't even allow them to try to touch the disciples. He said, no, if you want me, let them go. And they went. So... You have that fact. Second fact. Sorry, it's a bit of Greek, but you'll cope. So the linen garment that the guy's wearing in the Greek is a word that's spelled S-I-N-D-O-A. And it's pronounced something like sendo. Something like that. That's what this mysterious young man's wearing. That word, sendo, only occurs 
in one other place in the Bible, in, in the different Gospels, and it's used for the linen cloth that they wrapped around the body of Jesus when they took him down from the cross. They wrapped him in a sendal. And there's only those two places. There's nowhere else in the Bible. The guy in the garden, mystery guy, and then Jesus coming off the cross, dead body, gets wrapped in it. So that's just a fact that I'm giving you for now. So then let's, I'm, I'm going to have to alternate between Eden and Gethsemane. Quick recap of Eden. There were two people also in Eden who sinned, both of them. And in that context of Eden, God was present, as you know, and also Satan was present in the form of the serpent. When you come back to Gethsemane, you also have two people who they're trying to seize in the garden. God is present because Jesus is the Son of God. And Satan was present because the Bible makes this very terrifying statement that Satan had entered Judas. So Satan is in the garden. Now, I'm going to go off on a slight tangent, but you're going to just bear with me, please. Because this night we've read about is the night of the Passover. So if you remember back to just the, the, the essential of Passover, what you recall is that the people of God received a commandment, you have to put the blood on the doorposts mm -hmm. and don't go out. Because if you go out, there's an angel of death. And he's looking to kill. So if you want to stay safe, you stay indoors. And that blood will protect you. So what happened to Judas on the night of Passover was that extremely tragically for him, Jesus said to him, what you need to do, you go and do quickly. And he left the upper room. And John just adds this maybe strange detail, and it was night. <clears throat> and you're like, yeah, we knew that. So why does it say that? Well, it's because it was Passover night. And if there was one night when it wasn't a good idea to go out unprotected by the blood, it was Passover night. Bad idea. And what happened in that upper room was that Jesus gave the Passover meal all its sense and fulfilment by saying, this is my blood, and Judas didn't take part. If you read in John, Judas left before Jesus introduced the Passover blood covenant. So Judas is the guy who is not protected by the blood covenant because he left. The other disciples are because they broke bread with the Lord. So he goes out and he is spiritually as vulnerable as a human being can ever be, spiritually speaking. Which for me is why there's no other person that I know of in the Bible or history where it can be said Satan himself entered into him. 
And it was the angel of death that was in Judas. Whereas when you think about Jesus, and he knows all this, and yet after the breaking of bread, he still goes out and says to the disciples, we're going to get Gethsemane. Well, doesn't he know the angel of death around? Yeah, he does. But he is going deliberately towards it. Because Jesus knows, I'm the firstborn son of God, and I want an encounter with the angel of death because I want him to kill me. And that's, that's incredible. He goes after encounter with the angel of death, Satan, because he knows that's going to fulfill God's purposes. He's going to die and be raised for us. So praise the Lord for that, that he chose to do that for us. So close the bracket. (laughs) Come back in. So what happens, all right? They seize, or try to seize, the two that are remaining in Gethsemane. Jesus lets himself be caught. It's very deliberate. It's very intentional. No resistance. This is part of God's sovereign plan for us. But the mystery guy, well, he doesn't want to be caught. And this is my conviction. (coughs) He's actually you and I. The reason this guy's got no name... (coughs) No commentators really know who he was. The Bible doesn't say who he was. There's theories, but there's nothing written. You just have to theorise. So this is my theory. My theory is, he's you and I. He represents humanity. And he's back in the garden. And the enemy tries to get hold of him. But this time, there's a great exchange. This time, now I'm speaking spiritually, and it's a little bit, you have to follow my train of thought, so it's a good job it's recorded, because you can listen again. The linen cloth is taken off him, so that he can escape, and it's put on Jesus. I don't mean the same one literally. I am talking spiritually. I'm talking about an exchange that happened, (coughs) where Jesus said, no, I'm going to take all the sin represented by that linen cloth, all the soul wounds, all the physical stuff, all the stuff that was a barrier between you and God, I'm actually removing that and I'm taking it on me and it's going to die and be crucified and it's going to go into the tomb and be dealt with once and for all. Because here's the beautiful picture that I love so much. This is my favourite. What you then have is a picture of a naked person in a garden like you had Adam and Eve naked before God. You've got a restoration of the first innocence. A restoration of man how God has always wanted man to be. Naked, think of it spiritually, please, as no barrier between us and God. Nothing hidden between us and him. No condemnation between us and the creator. Knowing him as a father. Complete intimacy. Complete freedom. Complete purity. It's the restoration of man to the original state. 
in the garden of Gethsemane. It's beautiful. Someone should say hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> because it's a beautiful, beautiful truth for us. It's fantastic. And because in that garden, Jesus, in my opinion, dealt with everything that was fear, anxiety, discouragement, depression, and all the inner stuff that we want to get free from and live in that total transparency with God, I just believe there is a phenomenal invitation by the Holy Spirit mm. to say, come and enjoy the journey of getting free. Yeah. Just yeah. believe, believe that Jesus did everything necessary for you to have a true inner freedom. Yeah. No, no pretense, not putting other coverings on, just a really, this is who I am, and God, you know me anyway, and I'm going to get into a total transparency before you and just enjoy your perfect love and me being increasingly free. Just increasingly released by Jesus Christ. So I, I, I just was so happy. <laughs> that God was showing me these things and, and just enjoying it. And, and then the challenge was, I felt God saying to me that he wanted me to pray for people uh, along these lines. And uh, so I'm saying to the Lord, how? How do you pray for... Because Lynn and I, and, and probably you, several of you guys, you know, we've done like deliverance sessions to people who would say, oh, I, I've got a lot of wounds in my life and, you know, I suffered this in my childhood and the other and all kinds of dysfunctional things have happened to me and I've gone through all kinds of pain. And, um, and we've been with people who, I hope it doesn't shock you to say, they've been demonized to a degree and we've ended up casting stuff out of them and it's taken a long time. You know, we've had people where we've done uh, at least three two-hour sessions with them to, to, to give them a real measure of freedom in their lives. So when God said to me, pray for this, I'm like, um, you're going to have to help me, Lord, because a quick fix isn't going to work. It's got to be something that is actually powerful and meaningful. And I'd like you to turn with me to James 5. And I need to get two things out of my bag while you're doing that. One and a half. <coughs> and these are familiar verses. And initially, you won't think I'm talking about inner healing at all, but I will explain. And I am going to finish with this. And you have already given me water. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Looking like a man. Yes. <laughs> So we're going to read James 5, just 14 and 15. They're really well known, but there's a word in there that is really fascinating. So, James 5, 14. Is anyone among you sick? Then you must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. So, I think we know those verses, and certainly I can say for my life, oh, can I dance a bit? 
And God will do what he has promised to do. But I, I see it this way. If you've got some real inner soul hurts and you think, well, they're quite deep and I've had them quite a long time, um, so I'm not sure. Here's my conviction, and it's that God will start a process of bringing you into freedom. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That I absolutely believe with all my heart. Yeah. Yeah. Something will be triggered in you if you receive in faith anointing oil because of the promise of God. Mm. Yeah. Which obviously means if you really don't believe that and if you're sitting there thinking it can't be that simple and whatever other things you're thinking, well then obviously probably don't come because you might be disappointed because you were expecting nothing and then you got what you expected. So that would be kind of a waste of time. But if you can believe some of what's been said today, and I've been asking Holy Spirit to just instill faith into people's hearts, and if you can believe, oh, I'm going to start on a journey if I receive this anointing oil, and God is going to raise me up and restore me to the freedom, inner freedom, that he's always wanted ever since the Garden of Gethsemane, then he will start the most wonderful process. He will do that. Yes. He'll really do that. Now, I'm going to first ask, is there anyone who would like anointing with oil this morning? You have to put your hand up. Okay, 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 okay. You've convinced me. But secondly... You must participate, and I'm going to be a little bit rigid with you, so sorry guys, pay attention, because there's rules. I will ask you two questions. Question number one is easy. What's your specific prayer request? In other words, I want to know, are you coming because it's something physical? Are you coming because you're spiritually weak because you've had an argument with someone? Are you coming because you're exhausted, depressed, discouraged? I want you to put a word. Do not give me, I'm sorry, there's too many of you. Do not say, well, here's my life story. I'm going to stop you kindly and say, no, no, no. You have to give me just a word or two. Maximum a sentence. I feel depressed. That will do me. Then I know what I'm going after in the anointing. All right? So you're limited to one or two words. Not yes, yes. yes, thank you. Right, but I will then ask you probably the most important question of the day. Come on, focus. And that is, what will happen when I anoint you with oil? And you have to answer. You have to answer me. Because I have discovered that what you say and confess becomes a reality that you experience. Yeah, you have good. to answer that question. Even if it feels like, well, duh, the Bible says, well, yeah, well, duh, then. That's if you want. But I need you to say, I believe, you, know, you say your words, obviously. I'm not dictating your answer. But I, I want you to express something along the lines of, I believe God will start to restore me. I believe God will heal me. I, got, I believe God will raise me up. I believe God will give me reconciliation with that person. I believe. I just want to hear 
what you actually are expecting God to do. And the Holy Spirit will be all over that. Right. Really, all over it. He loves it. He absolutely is just waiting for you to say, this will happen. And then he's like, yes, it will. Cool. So it's that simple in one sense. What's the specific? And what's going to happen when I annoy you? So you'll need to give me two answers. And then we'll have some Holy Spirit fun. <laughs> Whether you are listening or watching, we hope you enjoyed this message. Please consider giving us a rating on your preferred podcast provider. If you're watching, please hit the subscribe button and click the notification bell so that you never miss another video from Freedom Church.